I want to share something with you today that I'm passionate for. We all, hopefully, 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 we all have people that we care about. Um, most of us, if we were to give us all a microphone this morning to stand up here, most of us have someone in our life that we are spiritually concerned for. You know what I'm saying? Someone that we're spiritually concerned for. Somebody that we would like to see come to faith in Christ in our lives. Someone that needs Jesus. Like, y'all need Jesus? Well, you're like, I, I know someone, they need the Lord. And um, so if you're here today and I said that just now, and someone came to your mind instantly. You're like, man, that person just needs the Lord in their life. They just need, they just need God. They need some, a spiritual uh, revitalization, you know, or whatever it may be, or revitalization in the first place. They just need the Lord. If I said that and someone came to your mind, that's what I'm talking about today. And if no one came to your mind, I'll bet you that if you thought for a second they would, or if you prayed about it, God would bring that person to your mind that's in your periphery. Could be a family member, could be a neighbor. It could be a friend, it could be a coworker, someone that you have a share a hobby with or someone that you see frequently. And when you think about them, you're like, man, I really would love to see them discover the goodness of God in their lives and find our Savior. We almost all of us know at least someone or several someones we're concerned for. However, we also may be guilty, we may be guilty of seldom thinking about that barely praying about it, and perhaps nothing else. And um, I know why. It's because sometimes we say, well, I don't know what the, what the point would be because, you know, that's up to them. You know, I just, I'm concerned for them, but what can I do about it? I don't feel equipped to do anything about it, so I'm just going to not think about it, or I, I, you know, if I do think about it, I'll pray, I guess, but what else can I do? What else can I do for that person? And I want to impress upon you today about the power of invitation. The power, the power of invitation. And when I say invitation, I mean inviting. The power of inviting. When I, when I say inviting, I mean in, in a spiritual way. It could be inviting someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing Christ with them, sharing the gospel with them. It could be inviting them into a conversation about faith. It could be inviting them to church where maybe the beginning of a spiritual connection can happen and the rest can be birthed from there because it just gives you a starting point. Because obviously faith in Christ is bigger than going to church. I could go to church and never place my faith in Christ and never have a connection with God. But the truth is is that sometimes church is a place where those conversations begin to percolate more and more and turn into deeper conversations and easier opportunities. And it leads to the gospel, and it leads to the Savior. But inviting, whether inviting someone to faith in Christ or inviting someone to church to kind of start that path, the power of invitation. And if I mention invitation, some of us, we don't think of the word power when we say that. We think of the word terrifying or fear, right? Like I'm terrified to talk about inviting someone into a, conversation about faith or share the gospel or invite them to church because I'm afraid if I did that, that they would reject the invitation. And then I would feel either silly for, for asking or I would feel, you know, almost offended that they said no. So I don't want to go through any emotions like that. So I, th- I think it's a fearful thing to invite, right? We think about the, um, 
You know, what, what might happen if it doesn't receive the way I hoped it could be? I just, I'm, I'm just afraid it won't be. But in, in letting fear overpower us, we miss the, the true power of invitation, and it's always powerful. In fact, I, I probably will say this later because I didn't make a, a clear spot to say it, so I'm going to say it now. If you were to go back to every single person through history who's ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's come to faith, you'll always find in that story somewhere the power of invitation. Someone was invited. Always. Now you say, well, not, not me or someone I know because I was raised by parents in church and I knew the Lord almost all my whole life. I knew about him and I, I came to faith just because it was the world I grew up in. Uh, so, you know, this doesn't really apply to me or to someone I know. But actually, that's not true because if, even if you were raised to know the Lord and you came to believe on him because you were brought up to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, at some point, it was your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, somewhere along the lines, your family was reached with the gospel through the power of invitation. It's always there. And every great thing that's happened, here we are 2,000 years after Christ walked the earth, and it's the largest uh, uh, religion in the world. It's not religion, it's a faith movement, but if we use that term, it's the biggest thing in the world. It's, it's a global, and it's happened powerfully because of what Jesus did and the, the, the goodness of that message. It's truly good news, but because people have kept passing it on, and the invitation is powerful. It's the power of invitation. There's a phrase that we use in the business world, they use in the business world, and as I've done you know, working with business people in several facets of my world, uh, there's a term that's often used in business that, especially on the marketing end, if you're in marketing or if you're ever trying to do some fundraising, there's a phrase they use and they call it, you gotta make the ask. You gotta make the ask. How many have heard that term used in foreign in business? Okay, I see a bunch, several of us have. Okay, we know that term, right? Make the ask. In other words, it's not gonna happen if you don't make the ask. And the difference between those who get the, the job done and the others are some, no one wants to make the ask ever. I mean, some people are wired that way, I guess, and what a gift they are. But most people are like, oh, I hate to make the ask. It's just so uncomfortable. But those who just say, you know what, that's how things move forward and they do it, they get the results. Because there's power in invitation. There's power in making the ask. And that's true for every part of life, and that's especially true for the most important part of life, which is our faith. The question is, when's the last time we made the ask of any, to anybody? When's the last time we invited? There's power in it all. See, well, Arlen, I know there's maybe power potentially, but there's also discomfort. And I want to make this clear. There is always discomfort in, in inviting people to a faith conversation or to church or to Christ. There's always discomfort in making the ask. But even if you don't ask, if, if, if someone, if, if there's going to be anyone who's going to, to discover the goodness of God, discover your faith that has impacted your life so much, if that's going to happen, There'll have to be discomfort somewhere. I want you to think about this today because I don't think we think about this often enough. For that to happen, for, that, for someone else to come to the gospel, to come to church, there has to be discomfort somewhere. Either, now follow me here, either the discomfort is that somebody else, people, have got to go through the discomfort of saying, I need the Lord, where do I turn? Maybe I can Google that. Maybe I can try and read out and sort out all the tons of information and conflicting ideas about God. And maybe I can find someone who's a person of faith in my life and I can 
invite myself into a conversation with them. Maybe I can go to that, that believer that I know and I can, I can make the ask, say, hey, tell me about faith because I'm looking and I, I got a lot of questions. But how uncomfortable would it be for them to do that? Especially if they think, well, my friend is a, per- who's a, is a believer, but how do I ask them? They've, they've never even brought it up to me. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. I don't know how to ask anybody. How do, I start, how do they start that conversation? Or maybe I'll go to church. What church do I go to? Which one's close to home? Should I go to that church on Sunday and find out? I don't know. I mean, no one's invited me to the church. So if I go to a church that wasn't invited, is that because they don't like visitors there? I don't know. Are they not, are they not open to people walking in? Do they have something private going on that I'm going to interrupt? I mean, how do I go in there and just show up? And what will, it be, what will it be like? So either they have to go through the discomfort of imposing themselves into a faith conversation or going into a church blindly and initiating in order to get there or someone who, is, who knows the Lord has got to go through the discomfort of taking the first step. Through the discomfort of saying, hey, can I share my faith with you? Hey, can I invite you to, into the gospel? Hey, can I invite you to come to church with me? And there's a discomfort there too. There's going to be a discomfort somewhere. And I think that sometimes what we've done is we've left the discomfort on the, is the problem of the people who we're supposed to be hoping We'll find the Lord. That's their discomfort, not mine. But I say it's ours. We're the ones who should step into that space, make the ask, start the conversation, initiate it, share the gospel, and discover the power of invitation. You say, well, why? Because in the boldness of doing so, and if anyone should be bold, it should be those of us with good news. If, if, in the boldness of doing so, we discover and find that the power of God's Spirit will work in the hearts of people. The power of God's Spirit will work in the hearts of people if we will simply be willing vessels for him to do his work. He calls us to do that. That's our call. Now, there are several biblical stories to back this up. And as you know, and I sometimes joke about up here, I'm always tempted to try to overprove the point with every Bible verse and story I can give you for three hours. We don't do that every week, or hopefully any week, um, because that would take all day. But there are several Bible stories where we can read in the Scriptures, and not just the Scriptures, by the way. If you've been alive long enough and you've been around, you've seen people uh, leverage this idea and make a difference in someone's life in, in your own lifetime, perhaps to you directly or to your family directly. But... The thing is, is there's several Bible stories that illustrate it as well. And I'm not going to read them all to you, but I'm going to give you some homework. So if you want to have some more Bible, say, I want more Bible, Arlen. Here, here you go. Take a pen and paper and write these things down because I'm going to give you some references for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday of this week. You can have all the Bible you need this week on this topic. The first one I'll mention is the woman at the well. Read John chapter 4 this week. Check out that story. The woman, woman at the well was a, a woman, a Samaritan woman who was a hot mess. I mean, she was a mess. Her life was goofy and just, it was messy. And she had a lot of baggage in the city she lived in. One day she's outside the city. She's drawing water from the well. She's got to go back in later on. And Jesus has an encounter with her at the well. And that's weird because he's a Jew and they just didn't connect with Samaritans. And this was a whole awkward moment. But he connects with her and he identifies with her and, and recognizes her. And loves her, cares for her. And she, through the conversation in John 4 with Christ, she believes. But what happens next is what's remarkable. 
she goes into the city and begins to tell everyone around about Jesus. And she invites them to come out and meet him with her. These are people who knew what a mess she was. She wouldn't be maybe your first ambassador as a person of choice for the faith. Who wants to hear this message proclaimed by a woman, let alone this woman who's a hot mess? Everyone knew her. Perhaps people didn't like her. People didn't respect her. I don't know. She, was, she had a lot going on. But she comes walking into the city and she says, I don't care. You gotta hear about Jesus. She's sharing the news and she's inviting people in. And next thing you know, an entire town full of people follow her out. They're so convinced by her, by her invitation. They're so impressed with what she asked of them that they follow her out to the out part of the city to meet Jesus. It's the spot in the scriptures where Jesus makes a famous statement about how lift up your eyes because the fields are ripe already for harvest. And all this town experiences an amazing moment of faith and an encounter with God because one woman who didn't have it all together at all had the courage to make the ask and leverage the power of invitation. We can go on and on. You want some more to study this week? Go home and read Mark chapter 2. It's a story of a tax collector named Matthew who Jesus invited to come follow him as a disciple. And as soon as he did, Matthew decides to throw a party at his house and then invite all of his friends in his industry to attend. And they filled the place. He brings Jesus and Matthew invites his friends and gets them to meet Jesus. And I don't know if these two stories are connected, but I often think that maybe, just maybe, this is why the next story takes place about a man named Zacchaeus in Luke 19, who is also a tax collector. And perhaps he was one of the many in the industry that were invited by Matthew to meet Jesus that day, and he was in the house, or perhaps he wasn't. But I'm sure the word got around the, the, the water cooler, so to speak. Word got around the industry. And now Zacchaeus is curious, and he leans in, and he has an encounter and meets Jesus. And then he invites all of his coworkers to show up to his place. And they have a party, and he invites them to meet Jesus. I love the story of Cornelius, and you should read Acts chapter 10, by the way. Cornelius was a, was a man who was just a, a man, not a Jewish man, he was another nationality, but he, he knew something, God had done something in Israel through this person of Jesus. He, he, he just knew that God was doing something, and he wanted to know uh, about it. He was a man who was seeking. And Cornelius made, two, Cornelius made two very bold moves. First bold move was he sent one of his people to a house to, to get a, an apostle, a preacher named Peter, to come to his house and tell them about God. And the second thing that Cornelius did was he, he went around and he told all of his family members and all of his friends to show up at the house for a special meeting with this guy named Peter who's going to come tell them about God. And Cornelius makes this invitation. Cornelius, and I don't know if all of his family came or all of his friends came or if some of them said, that's just ridiculous, what are we doing? But he holds this special meeting in his house and he packs the place out with friends and family at his request. And Peter shows up at his request. And as he shares the good news of Jesus, Cornelius and every single person in that house they believed the gospel and they were saved. The Holy Spirit of God fell on all of them. They all got baptized that day. And when you read the story, it's a remarkable moment. It's kind of a breakthrough moment for the gospel to spread throughout that entire culture and begin the process of spreading to the whole world. 
And none of it would have happened. None of it would have happened if it wasn't for a man named Cornelius who was willing to, to, to do something that many of us are uncomfortable with doing, which is to make the ask and invite people into this moment. Read those stories this week for yourself and study them. We don't have time to do all of them. I want to take a few minutes to show you a short one, a very short interaction. It's not with a town full of people. It's not with a large gathering of coworkers. It's a story of one person, and it's pretty short, but it makes my point. It's a story of a man named Philip. Jesus is gathering his disciples at this time. He gathers a disciple named, uh, he gets Andrew and Peter who were brothers. He gets James and John who were brothers. All four were in the fishing industry. He calls them to leave their nets and follow him, and they do. In the process of doing that, he gets them, uh, they begin to follow him. He begins to call Matthew, the tax collector we mentioned. And then he comes along in, in John chapter 1 and verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. So there's Jesus giving the invitation. Hey, Philip, do what I've invited the others to do. Come, follow me. And it's a powerful thing. Can you even imagine in today's culture how that would work? Just go to the cashier today at, 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 at Strax and say, hey, leave thy, table, leave thy uh, cashier register and come follow me. They might if the day is going pretty rough. They might just, you never know, it could happen. But, um, you know, seriously, but Jesus is going around to these people saying, hey, I'm inviting you to come. And you say, well, I, I can't even imagine doing that. And yet, and yet people followed him because they invited They were invited. And Philip was invited to follow Jesus. It says in verse 40, uh, 44, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So what does Philip do when Jesus invites him? Well, he's going to follow Jesus. But he does something first that's so powerful. Before he goes off and actually begins his journey as a disciple at the feet of the rabbi, he's so excited. He's like, there's something I have to do first. There's something I gotta do before anything else. One moment, time out, pause that. And he runs out to find his buddy. He's so excited, he's gotta tell his friend, Nathaniel. Verse 45 says, Philip went to look for Nathaniel. And he told him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now this is so, this is so big because we're going to see in just a moment here, Philip is talking to a friend of his that has an adverse or a, a, a little pushback, a little bit of a, a funny reaction at first. Maybe sarcastic, maybe resistant. Philip knows who he's talking to, but it doesn't stop him. He's so excited. He's so excited about, um, you know, being, he's not ashamed to be attached to Jesus regardless of what his friend's opinion is going to be regardless of what his friend's response is going to be. He can't help himself. He's like, hey, Nathaniel. Hey, there you are, Philip. What's up? Oh, man. You know that, remember Moses and the prophets? Whoa, time about Philip. You want to talk about the Bible? You want to talk about Scripture? Okay. What about, what about Moses and the prophets? We're having a, a spiritual talk. I say, yes, yes, Moses and the prophets. And if you remember the, reading the writings when we were kids and in, and in, 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 in a synagogue, school, and whatever else we went to, you know, remember how he heard about Moses and the prophets and wrote about a man coming someday as a Messiah? Yeah, 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 what about it? He's here. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And you've got to come meet him. And, and so Philip's just putting himself out there to his friend, I mean, he's been invited to follow Jesus, but unlike the, he just runs off to find Nathaniel. And Nathaniel isn't necessarily 
buying in. In fact, Nathaniel's first response to verse 46 is this. Nazareth? Like Jim Mora in the playoff talk. Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on now. Really? Here's, here's, and again, Philip had to know Nathaniel. You know who your friends are. Nazareth? Really? Can anything good come out of that place? See, I think, you're, I think you're misreading the, the landscape, Philip. I think you're getting excited about something that's not maybe right. I think you're misunderstanding. I think you're getting caught up in a bad idea. Maybe you're following someone that's not worth following. Philip, you're going crazy. You just need to calm down, Philip. That's all nice, but really, Nazareth? You know, it's the, it's the pushback. See, Nathaniel's response is the thing that most of us are afraid about. Those of us who are believers, those of us who are people of faith, this is what we're most afraid will happen. We're afraid that if we ever invited someone into a conversation about faith or invited them to Christ or invited them to church, that they would give us a response that would demean our request. That's why we don't do it more often. We're afraid that if we ask anybody, like, church? Jesus? Religion? We're so afraid of what if they, what if they have pushback? What if, what if they bring something up and I don't know what to say? Well, we can imagine a bad pushback. Philip experiences it. But I think that what we ought to do is instead of staying away out of fear of a response, we ought to lean into the fact that when we have such a response, what do you do next? And I love what Philip did next. He just keeps grinning from ear to ear. And his simple answer is this. Come and see for yourself. I love that. That is so smart. Hey, man, listen, I got to tell you, we come across uh, Jesus from Nazareth. Really? I don't know about that. What in the world? And, and, and I, have some, I have some skeptical opinions about that. And Philip just grins and says, hey, man, I don't know about all that, but you just got to come and see. I, I don't have all the answers to your questions about, you know, you know, what about this scientific concern or what about this religious uh, misuse or what about that biblical argument or what about this, you know, hurt and ill of the world and, and what about this, uh, you know, situation. I don't have all the answers you're looking for. I can't overcome all the things that make you doubt and I can't overcome all the hurts you've ever faced or the, or the skepticism in your heart and I don't have all the answers for you and I'm inviting you and you're pushing back but here's the thing, I don't know. Just come and see. That was a great answer. I don't have I, nothing else for you. Before you write it off, Nathaniel, come and see for yourself. That's so powerful. Come and see. Check it out personally. What's the harm in that? You ever talk to somebody and you invite them into a conversation and they say, I don't know. And you're like, push back, and you slump your shoulders and you kind of run away. Or do you say, hey, I hear you. I hear you. But I'm not backing away. I'm just going to tell you, you got to come check it out for yourself. That's what Philip did. Verse 47, as they approached, and this is, this is so beautiful here. This is the part where Jesus gets involved because Philip gets Nathaniel to Jesus. By the way, that's all you got to do. Because Jesus takes over. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And, and, and Nathaniel answers in verse 48, he says, how do you know about me? You know, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Here's a great guy. Oh, you must know me. <laughs> how do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. 
And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now, come on now. I know we're just reading a story, but think about how impactful that would be. Just for a minute, pretend that someone invited you to some special religious meeting to meet somebody they wanted you to, they respected or whatever. And I mean, we're not talking about Jesus. Now. We're just talking about just getting to somebody that, they, that you need to meet this person. Or you're outside of the Christian room, you just want to go see someone who's a psychic, allegedly, or somebody. You, just, you want to have a spiritual experience. And you walk in and the person says, yeah, I saw you yesterday at 3 p.m. in your room by yourself, picking your nose and wiping it under the mattress. Who saw that? You saw, you know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, like Philip is walking in Nathaniel. He's like, hey, I know you. How would you know? I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even approached you. And it's just like this one of these moments. And here's Nathaniel's response in verse 49. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. So Nathaniel has this God moment, this moment of, of him saying, I can't explain that. I got goosebumps. Something just happened. Something that I can't explain away just happened. I just had an experience that I believe now. He has this God moment. Because that's what, that's what happens when you get someone to Jesus. He'll take it from there, right? In fact, Jesus isn't even done with him. Verse, 40, verse 50, Jesus says, Do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Guess what? You'll see greater things than this. Just like that, Jesus had him. Just like that, Jesus had Nathaniel. That's what he does. He can work on, he can do all. But you know what, he, you know what happened before that? Philip went and found him and said, hey, Nathaniel, guess what? I don't know. Come and see. And the rest is history. See, so much happens when we leverage the power of invitation. But I know that because it's tempting for us to feel afraid, that it's easy instead to sit back and just hope that people come to us for answers. I know the Lord. I know he's made a difference in my life. I think I have some, some hope in the gospel that the world could use. But if someone comes to us for answers, they come to me for answers, I'll, I'll, I'll help. I'll, I'll, that's good. Sit back and hope people come for answers. Uncomfortable ourselves to ever initiate the conversation ourselves. But I'm saying today, that we are called, and I'm encouraging us today, and I'm encouraging me today and you today to make the ask. To make the ask. So the best opportunities in the life have come from that. And not just today in my life as a pastor. Well, you're a pastor, so you do that kind of stuff. But I remember before I was a pastor, um, I remember working at a trucking company in South Holland for years. And um, I, I'm preaching about something today that I don't always do great at. I get as fearful as everybody. You know, and the older we get, the easier it is to logic away our, our responsibilities to make the ask. But I remember being a young man, and in, 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 I wasn't a pastor yet. And I had weekend work we did with the church, and we had all of our gospel work then. But I also had a job Monday through Friday, and I had a bunch of coworkers. And I remember thinking to myself, these guys, there's no chance unless I talk to them. I invited a couple to church with me who came. But largely, I just thought, this is my only shot at them. So I would start to ask guys for, hey, can I buy you lunch next Tuesday? Or, you know, can we go out after work for coffee? One guy was selling a, 
uh, homemade tamales that his wife made for a, a side hustle. I'm like, hey, I'll buy some tamales. Can, can I buy some from you and buy some for you and we can eat them together? We can hang out for a while. And just to begin to sit down, we go to the car in the lunch break or in the break room somewhere if it was private or to coffee afterwards. And I would just say, hey, I want to talk about, my, can I share my faith with you? And so many, several guys from that job uh, received the gospel and, and, and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved through that invitation. And some didn't. But I learned something, and it's something that everyone knows when they learn to make the ask, is that we're always afraid that we won't get 10 out of 10 if we ask people. I won't, they, won't, they won't all respond positively, and I agree, they won't. But I can tell you, you won't get 10 out of 10 by asking, but you know what you'll get? You'll get zero out of zero if you don't. And so just to, just to say, hey, I want to I I leverage the power of invitation. I want to make the ask. And it's something that all of us, we can do that for a while, and then we can shrink back into our own skin of just not wanting to go through the effort of initiating. Because again, there's discomfort. But may I repeat this to you? There must be and will be discomfort to spread the faith. And we'll either leave it on people who need the Lord to say, well, I need, I need some spiritual guidance uh, Maybe I'll show up to a church. Do they want me there? They haven't asked me. Do I just walk in and assume that it's a good time to come? Where do I sit? Does everyone know everybody? Will I be an oddball? Will they be looking at me or thinking about me? That's everyone's fear. If you're ever new to church, you think everyone's ever like, you know, they're saying something that must be about me. It's not, you know. I remember going to uh, an old church when I was, uh, and I, I was raised in church, so this was, wasn't so big for me, but we went to a special meeting at a little country church in Michigan one time, and my dad was a pastor, so we're a pastor's family. We went to the church, no one knew who we were. So we're just sitting in the back, and all these older people were sitting around who obviously had been in that church since they were, you know, 1,800 years earlier. And there was a graveyard out back, and it was more exciting than the, what was going on in the building. And um, they're all sitting there, and no one's friendly, and all, no one said, shake our hands, and who are we? We're like the outsiders. And the preacher's preaching about, you know, you know sinners. And a couple people turned and they looked our direction, you know, and like, what? You know, that's everyone's fear, you know, that's the, that's the fear. So we can leave the ball in someone's court. They're just going to go, I need the Lord. Maybe I just go to some church somewhere and, and I can go, but they didn't invite me, but maybe they want me there. I don't know. Or are they a kind of a closed church? I don't know. Am I welcome? Will I be singled out? I don't know. But, I'll, but they have to overcome the discomfort to get there or to explore faith, or talk to somebody and initiate a conversation, that's on them, or it's on those of us who've experienced the grace of God and the goodness of God to start, to, for us to take on the discomfort of saying, hey, can I just reach out, knowing that someone might say, no, thank you, that's okay. And just invite you into a conversation about the Lord, invite you into the gospel, invite you to church to start a process of discussing the gospel and faith. And if you push back, I might just say, hey, I don't know about all that, but just come and see. Just come and see. Yeah, you got some good questions. I don't have all the answers, but just come check it out for yourself. I'm just not going to give up that easily. Someone has to have the discomfort of making the ask, starting the conversation, initiating, sharing the gospel. Someone always has to go first. And I think that the church in general has long abdicated this responsibility of going first in many places, not everywhere, but in many, in many circles, many Christians in churches, even in churches that do it well, many Christians have just abdicated the responsibility of going first. We think, well, if they act first, we'll react well. <laughs> well, I hope so. We should. 
you know? If someone comes and, you know, walks in and stumbles and says, what must I do to be saved? I would tell, we would tell them, well, I would hope so. What in the world? But that's, not, that's, that's a bad model. I know churches all over the place that are always saying, we're praying for revival, get into our little holy huddle, lament culture, lament how bad everything is in the world, pray for revival, do nothing to contact anybody outside, but just sit back here and piously say, yes, it's bad out there, God, please bring revival. If they come a-looking, we're here. What is that? That's not the Christianity we're called to. We've got to make the ask. Someone's got to go first. Someone's got to act first. Someone's got to initiate it. And it's time for us as Jesus followers to decide to do that. That's what Jesus did. I know Philip went to Nathaniel and said, come and see for yourself. But before Philip went to Nathaniel, Jesus went to Philip. Jesus invited first, and Philip said, I respond, and I will do what you just did for me, and I will do the same thing for somebody else. And follow your example. And that's the whole gospel. Jesus went to the cross, and he died, and he rose again. And before he ascended back to heaven, he gathered his disciples and said, guys, you've watched me invite others into faith. I'm leaving now. I'm ascending back now. You need to go and do the same thing. And we call that, that space when Jesus did this, the Great Commission. If you've been around church very long, you've heard the term the Great Commission. It's where Jesus tells his followers to go spread this message. It's found in Matthew 28, it's found in Acts chapter 1, and it's found in Mark chapter 16. All worded differently, same big idea. Here's the Mark version. Mark 16, 15, Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And that's exactly what we have, folks, is we have good news. And I think that part of the problem, if I can needle us a little bit here, I think part of the problem is that we don't always really believe that it's good news. We believe it to a certain degree because we received it and we come and we even celebrate it in our lives. But we doubt it it would be good news to pass on. But man, I'll tell you, if I had good news, I want to pass it on. If I have good news, if I think something's good news, I can't wait to share it with somebody else. If it's good news for them, I want to be the one to break it to them. But when it comes to the gospel, we hesitate to share good news of God's love and hope and relationship and community and faith and peace and all the things that God can bring. Good news. And Jesus said, go into all the world and bring good news to everyone. Folks, that's our job. That's the commission. And the onus is on us. It's time to ask. It's time to do what Jesus did. He calls us to do the same. Now, again, you can invite someone to the gospel. You can invite someone into a beginning of a long conversation over time. You can invite them to church. Where not only can you, the thing about inviting someone to church, you can go to church and not be, come to faith, but by coming to church, it's a good starting point. Because after someone comes, then you have another basis point to discuss faith. And not just you, but the other people that they can meet at church. And the sermon that happens at church. And there's so many spots where the gospel can percolate from there. So it's a great, if, if you don't, if you say, well, Arlen, I would invite someone into Christ, but I don't have all the theological arguments. I don't know where to turn in my Bible to explain salvation to somebody. Well, first of all, you can invite someone to faith by sharing your testimony. How did you come to faith in Christ? Just share what God did for you. If that's all you know how to do, just share what God did for you and, and, and pass it on. You say, well, I'm afraid if I do that, that I'll stumble or I won't explain it well. Again, you can do that, but if, if that's hard, invite them to church. It's a great place to begin a faith journey. 
And, but the thing is, is if we do none of it, if we do no inviting, if, the, if we don't ever leverage the power of invitation, if we never make the ask, if we never go first, we cannot sit around and lament the woes of the world as a self-righteous bunch of people because that's not what Jesus Christ was all about at all. His heart was humble and gracious and loving and sacrificial and serving. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you today to think about who it is you need to ask. And if you're here today and you've never heard the gospel, if you're here today and you've never received the gospel yourself, here's what I want to invite you into. Believe the gospel for yourself. I don't know who you are. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've been coming for a long time or a short time. It doesn't matter. But if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's the good news. We're all broken. We're all sinners. And now that's, people make that like it's an insult to say we're sinners. We're, we know we are. We all know our inefficiencies and our shames and our woes and our, our, our self-loathing and our, what we've let ourselves down and others down and God down. and Just we know our, the dark corners of our lives that we don't want to share with anybody else. We all know how flawed and broken we are and what sin, that we call it sin, what it has done. We've, been, we've done wrong. We're not perfect but God loves us. And, and into the mess that, we've made, that our sin and our brokenness has brought in this world, God has stepped into it with his love. And Jesus came, that God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus came on the cross to show us what forgiveness looks like. That God would bear our offenses so that we don't have to. Because God wants you back more than he wants you to pay. So he paid for all the wrongs. He, did all, he just took it all on himself and said, there. Then he rose again from the dead to say, look, sin brought death, but I've broken the power of sin and death. Life goes on beyond the grave. Life goes on, and he invites you into that life. He invites you into not just heaven someday, but his presence and dwelling you now in a relationship with him. It's his free gift. It's his grace but he won't force it on you. He invites it to you. He invites you. If you would believe that and receive it today, the scriptures tell us, as many as receive him, to them he gives the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And I hope that today, if you've never done so before, you'll take a time when we pray in just a moment here. And in your own way, in your own words, you'll just say, God, if you love me that much to build a bridge back to me across the, my brokenness and my sin. If you love me and want relationship with me, you'd pay for my sins, you'd rise again, you'd give me eternal life, you'd be with me. I want that relationship. I accept it. I believe it and I receive it today. Just accept the gospel. If you want to little, know a little bit more about it, on the seat backs in front of you, there's a card that says the gospel. There's even a sample prayer that could, you could kind of pray or pray something like that. But use the prayer time today to do that. And put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, you've, if you do that today, will you do me a huge favor? I'm going to make the ask right now and ask you to let me know so I can rejoice and give you something to, give you a gift for me to take your next steps in your faith journey. If you've already received the good news of, of the grace of God, if you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, who do you need to invite? There's a power in invitation do you need to go first? So well, I went first and they, yeah, but now that you went first and didn't go well, how do they bring it back up again? The ball's in their court, is it? Do we need to re-engage? Do, to, to, do we need to pass across the threshold of discomfort and make the ask, even if it's again? 
If God has put someone on your mind today, I hope that you'll listen to his spirit.